This is WBEW LP, Brattleboro 107.7 FM, your community radio station, also streaming live online at WBEW.org. This is Indigo Radio, deepening understanding, making connections. On the air every Sunday at noon, we are a group of educators seeking to learn through engaging with others in our community and throughout the world. You can also find us on Facebook at Indigo Radio and on Instagram. And our shows are recorded and will be uploaded to SoundCloud and iTunes after the show. The views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the hosts and guests, not the radio station. And this is Anna for Indigo Radio, and happy to say that we are bringing you an all-new show this Sunday. Today's show is all about poetry and the use of poetry in teaching and sparking discussion and thought. Last weekend was our Spark graduation. I think many of you know I'm part of the Spark Teacher Training Institute in which graduates spend an intensive year in the K-12 classrooms and in seminars each Saturday. And at the end, they receive their Vermont license and a master's in teaching for social justice. And we had a really wonderful Zoom graduation with a lot of family and friends in attendance. We want to congratulate our newest sparklers that graduated Although the graduation is over, they are also still in the classrooms till mid-June, but they did uh, wonderful work and it was great all to come together, unfortunately, of course, on Zoom, but we really made the most of it and it was great to see so many people joining us uh, last Saturday. And during the graduation, many people read poems, so I thought it would be great to capture those poems into a show for today. I spent the week recording some of our spark faculty and students reading poems and talking about poetry in their teaching. We're going to start with a song and we will be back. Thanks so much for being with us today. i 
Welcome back. That was a song called Poem by U.S. Girls, and this is Anna for Indigo Radio. We are spending the hour listening to poetry that was recorded this week by different Spark faculty and students. And the first one that we're going to start with is Chris and Marisa. Chris and Marisa live in Springfield, Vermont. They are both faculty with the Spark Teacher Training Institute, and they also teach in Springfield. Uh, the first poem that I chose to read is called Now, and it's by Audre Lorde. Now, woman power is black power, is human power, is always feeling my heart beats as my eyes open, as my hands move, as my mouth speaks. I am, are you ready? Love it. Thank you, Marisa. Thank Why did you pick that poem? Um, well, Chris suggested that I consider Audre Lorde actually as a Black queer activist. And I think I chose this one because there's a sense of urgency. And mm -hmm. as the Spark uh, students are graduating, I was thinking the time is now, it's not later, um, and that we're all in this together that it's not, you know, it's not we as the teachers and you as the students, it's we are in this organizing work together in this fight together. And now is the time. I like that. And I like that you said the sense of urgency. And I think that that, I think, I think that we should have that right now, right? It, it, there is a sense of urgency and we need to be in the struggle together for sure. Yeah. I also, I was recalling a discussion that we had had a couple weeks ago about what what we need to do ourselves to keep moving forward. And I was thinking about how in every word that I speak and every action that I take, whether it's at home, within the home, or with my students on remote learning or colleagues, in all of those actions, just like Audre Lorde says, um, you know, her heart beats, her eyes are open, her hands move as her mouth speaks. Um, so I was thinking about in every single moment as well. It's mm. not uh, in one place or another. It's all the time everywhere. Yeah. Thank you. And I know that you have a second poem that you would love to read. I do. So this is called To the Students of the Workers and Peasants Faculty. And it's by Bertolt Brecht. So there you sit. And how much blood was shed that you might sit there. Do such stories bore you? Well, don't forget that others sat before you who later sat on people. Keep your head. Your science will be valueless, you'll find, and learning will be sterile, if inviting, unless you pledge your intellect to fighting against all enemies of mankind. Never forget that men like you got hurt, that you might sit here, not the other lot. And now don't shut your eyes and don't desert, but learn to learn and try to learn for what. I love that. I have my own thoughts about that poem <laughs> as, a, as a teacher and a learner myself, but I would love to hear your thoughts first. Yeah, so I chose this one because I'm very familiar with another one of Bertolt Brecht's poems. Um, so I was looking at some others by him, and this one struck me because, well, there are a lot of reasons. The co-director of our program, Janaki Natarajan, always jokes that when I was in her first class, she told the history of her life and that it bored me so much that I walked out of her class. 
<laughs> so, so that line, do such stories bore you, um, sort of struck a personal chord with me. And then thinking about, again, who are the students in front of us? For many of us, they are uh, working class students who, and I think that to remind ourselves that the science of the people is what is so valuable and that there is there is a struggle in learning and there's a struggle in teaching and it's a political struggle um, as well as a scientific struggle as well as an economic struggle. And so I guess that's the beginning of my thoughts about why I chose that poem. I looked it up uh, and read it myself before this interview with you and I also am a big fan of Bertolt Brett. I also, I use his poetry in my public health classes, a different, a different poem. And I had never heard this one. And for me as a teacher hearing this one and, and as a student myself, I love, you know, he says, pledge your intellect and thinking about how nothing is neutral. And as teachers, we aren't neutral and we really think about what we choose to emphasize and what we want our students to question and that there, there is this, um, to me, education is really the point of, of critical thinking and learning. And the point is to change this world and push back against it and really fight for a better world. Otherwise, like he says, learning is sterile. Mm. So I really love this one and, and hope to use it in my teaching. Thank you. Chris, hi, you also are a teacher and before I know you have a poem for us too. Before you um, do that, will you tell us where you teach, and then can you read the poem that you chose? Absolutely, I teach at uh, Springfield High School in Springfield, Vermont. I teach social studies and a number of different classes, including immigration and migration, and the history of mass incarceration, and civics, and other classes. Picked a poem um, that was written before this. COVID-19 stuff happened, but it's certainly for me very relevant. And it's also relevant for the graduation where these poems were read. And every day that I participate in our SPARK program, the um, connection and solidarity and kind of the focus and work around education, but also the lives of our students and us as well. So this was a poem written by a teacher who among the many strikes that the Chicago Teachers Union were doing in Chicago around school closings and what they were doing to privatize uh, education in Chicago. And it's by a woman named Molly Meacham, and it's called The Political Poem That Was Bullied Out of Me. And she writes, I had never been small until I heard how evil I am for being a teacher. With the lie levels rising in the newspapers, Emails, interviews, announcements, the steady flood of anti-teacher propaganda dissolves dignity past patience until I am invisible and taste of salt. Me, the frightening muse of room 202, is this incredible shrinking violet. I've often told students to absorb environment and squeeze it into writing, but I, hypocrite, cannot check my mail without earplugs and blinders now. There is always a top story that burns my cheeks ashen, and I am scattered by breath. But there's no headline for me or for colleagues who've sold houses, who've had taken on loans and gray streak temples to brace for the fight. These headlines are about these politicians, their pockets and their pride. Articles full of doublespeak and forked tongues hissing. The mayor and the board deal students as playing cards in stacked decks. They know nothing of the kids themselves. 
her grammar jokes, his zombie impression, that he's afraid his father is never getting out of jail and his mom has breast cancer, that she is the first in her family to go to college and got a full ride, that he came out of the closet and his mother is praying for the evil to cease, cease its possession, that she reinvents the world on the page and then stages it. These kids swirl in cutbacks, media overload, starved affections, and poetry. They swear and swagger and smile metal. The fact these kids are alive and breathing knowledge is in deadly communities is more miracle than Lazarus rising. And they do. They baptize their papers in ink and wash drafts clean with red. They highlight, spotlight, moonwalk. I mean, there are teenagers. They are, there are mad dashes through the halls, too many tardies and dress code violations, but they are green and sprouting, dandelions and dahlias, ivy, wisteria and willows. I am a simple gardener, tilling with words, preparing the ground, loam, sand, silt, and clay. The clay molds itself into familiarity, into the expression of understanding that's unique to each child. The board wants me to see only numbers, to measure the kids with percentages, to see them as payment and value added. But I'm an English teacher. Numbers have never been my thing. I see that their learning is the shape of a yellow raft on a green river. We are the river dwellers. There is no salt in our water. It feels wrong to hate politicians who have never met me, but they made me made us feel so feel minuscule, buzzing winged things like gnats or mosquitoes for being teachers. It makes me hunger for biblical retribution. So I will be an insect in a plague of cicadas. We will be dressed as a river of blood, a torrent of chant and noise. There is no poem for this fight, for watching the mild manner lose their voices from screaming chants, feet raw with marching, hands calloused for chalk will be rubbed with new blisters from holding signs. If we are faceless, let us be the drought the blight, the salt in this freshwater city so our students will not be nameless, faceless scores in a city that hunts them for statistics. We will be the living, living the politics, not writing a poem. I invite you and ask you to stand with me for them. Wow, that's a beautiful poem. There's so much imagery in that. Yeah, it's really the, the an analysis about how kids are viewed. And I think for me, it really hit home too the way that we're going about this online learning and trying to fit um, what we used to do into this completely different world that we live in now makes me think of this as well. One of the things that stood out for me in that poem is how intimately connected teachers are with their students' lives and that often that is really invisible to a lot of people but it's not just about this, the classroom setting that they often know a lot of what is going on at home or things that maybe a kid would not express to other adults, but expresses to a teacher they trust. So thank you for that, Chris. That's a really, really great poem. Well, thank you. And I thought I would just ask both of you, uh, I know both of you are teachers in Springfield, Vermont, and you also both teach very different ages. And I was wondering if you could both maybe speak to the use of poetry and art in your classrooms. Do you think it's a useful thing to use with both younger kids and kids at the high school level? Yeah, I think, I mean, we both actually use the Where I'm From poems. Chris uses them in his high school classes, and I use them with my second graders, first graders as well. 
I use them at the beginning of the year to start off uh, building community and talking about where we come from, who we are. George Ella Lyon is the author of the original Where I'm From poem. And we also use a storybook called Mama, Where Where Am I From? Or no, sorry, Mama, Where Are You From? Um, to help us come up with ideas around that too. And I think it's a nice way of knowing one another and knowing our similarities and knowing our differences as well. And the kids really like it. They like to show their uniqueness and they like to see ourselves as all together and related as well. Mm-hmm. And I, I would couldn't agree more. I, I use the I Am From poems and connect it with the New York and Cafe, the um, spoken word poetry slams. And the kids, I think when they first start it, almost nobody wants to do it because they think they're going to have to read it out loud. And once they go through this process and write their poems, I would say at least three-fourths of the class read their poems out to each other. And it's it's a really great way to ground, yeah, we are in this together, who we are. Here's a different side. I've gone to school with you for nine, 10, 11 years, but I've never heard or seen this part of you. And I, I think the kind of world that they are in and maybe the world we grew up in too, that both the arts and the kind of way people express themselves is really... Um, kind of beaten out of them in school, I feel like. And so the chance to bring that back into school and we do graphic novels and comics uh, as part of a way to assess our learning and stuff. And I think the kids really, really like doing that as well and uh, seeing what other kids their age have done and what other, how people in the world express themselves, I think hits a lot closer to, or they connect a lot more than kind of me talking. Yeah. And I would agree for, for us to the things that are cut first are things like poetry. If there's yeah. not enough time for that, I think had we been in school at the end of the year, I would have been doing some poetry with my students because we're talking about, you know, authors make word choices and we have to be careful and particular and exact about what we mean. So sometimes I don't, I'm not able to have time to do all of the things with poetry that I would like, but I also use um, morning meeting as a way to sneak some poetry in. And I, when I saw your question, Anna, I pulled up a poem that I had done last year around this time um, by Langston Hughes. It's called In Time of Silver Rain. And it's a beautiful spring poem that's energizing. And it also just allows me to to introduce kids to poets like Langston Hughes as well. I don't know if you want me to read that one to you as well. Yeah, please. Sure. It's yeah. beautiful. You'll like it. <laughs> So, in time of silver rain. In time of silver rain, the earth puts forth new life again. Green grasses grow and flowers lift their heads. And over all the plain, the wonder spreads of life, of life, of life. In time of silver rain, the butterflies lift silken wings to catch a rainbow cry. And trees put forth new leaves to sing in joy beneath the sky. As down the roadway, passing boys and girls go singing too, in time of silver rain, when spring and life are new. Mm. So and it's it's yeah, it's a really joyful, yeah. lively, um, especially if you know when we're feeling a little bit um, in the doldrums. I guess of this, you know, every day is kind of the same. <laughs> So, yeah. reminding us about our humanity and our life and uh-huh. 
connection with nature. Great poem for this time, for sure. Thank you both. I thank you for sharing those poems. And it was also really great to hear how you both use these in the classroom, working with very different ages. So thank you. Thank you, Anna. Thank you, Anna. Okay, that was Chris and Marisa. And we want to thank them for reading those great poems. They are both teachers in Springfield, Vermont, and they are with the Spark Teacher Program. They also are Indigo Radio hosts. And Chris talked about, or he read a poem by a striking Chicago teacher from a number of years ago. And we're going to play the song Chicago Teacher by Rebel Diaz. Uh, Many of you probably remember the amazing free concert that Rebel Diaz did for us last year, right around this time in the public library. It was one of my favorite Brattleboro moments. We wish that they were here again. We were going to have them come, but... Unfortunately, that's not going to be the case. So here is Chicago Teacher by Rebel Diaz. Yeah, feel this from the bottom of my heart, y'all. Truly inspired. Here we go. Come on. Look. Y'all, y'all. Homie, I was taught by a Chicago teacher. Chicago teacher. Chicago teacher. I learned to read and write from a Chicago teacher. So I'm inspired by the fight from my Chicago teachers. Homie, I was taught by a Chicago teacher. Chicago teacher. Chicago teacher. I learned to read and write from a Chicago teacher. So I'm inspired by the fight from my Chicago teachers. The teachers are tired. The students dumbfounded. The budgets get cut so classes are overcrowded. Streets full of violence, the blue coat is silence. So I'ma keep rhyming till salaries start rising. The unions are rising, taken to the streets. The workers are united, so the mayors got beef. Rhymes a fake pretender with a corporate agenda. Neoliberal offender, of course you offend us. This ain't about money, that's far from the truth. They want better work conditions to teach the youth. Politicians, I don't trust them, it's all in the name. The president, the mayor, all want political gain. They rather put the kids in jail, shackle them with chains, and provide an education that challenges the brain. Top-down education, Chicago the birthplace. Now it's spreading nationwide all over the place. They don't teach us how to think, they teach us how to test. They teach us how to work to put money in their checks. The CEOs need to get up out the classroom before these streets get hotter than the sand in Cancun. So join the picket line like Mr. Pickett in his prime. Put on your red shirt like the Bulls in 95. Hit the streets with a sign They say I'm fighting for mine It's a fork in the road And you gotta choose a side And yes, I'm proud to say I was a public school student It was public school teachers That first taught me music And yes, I'm proud to say I was a public school student A public school teacher First taught me music Homie, I was taught by a Chicago teacher Chicago teacher Chicago teacher I learned to read and write from a Chicago teacher So I'm inspired by the fight from my Chicago teachers Went to Lil' Lincoln School in a little school bus Desegregation Pay 20 cents for lunch Reduced price ticket for the lower income children Art and music classes in between math and English Now it's different, they just teaching to the test Forced by the feds, all they losing that check Too many children left behind by this corporate assembly line How they privatized, education is a human right And they kids gonna be fine, they send them to private schools While ours get sent to prison
prison or giving a job serving fast food. Cash rules, so it gets treated like a business. Bought and sold by businessmen turned politicians. So when Prime was the chief of staff, and Arnie Duncan got his start in Chicago selling off the education system, then Obama gotta respond. The teachers or the corporations, which side is he on? The streets is getting hot, they blame the heat on Chief Keith, but it's a million others like him being created every week. If we don't teach, we don't learn, and the streets is gonna burn before it gets worse. I put on my red shirt, cause homie, I was taught by a Chicago teacher, Chicago teacher. That was Chicago Teacher by Rebel Diaz, and if you're just joining us, this is Anna for Indigo Radio, and today we have a show all about poetry, and all of the poems that you are listening to are are being read by Spark faculty and students, and I'm going to share one of my favorite poems right now. This poem is by Asata Shakur, and Asata was imprisoned in the late 70s. She was targeted by COINTELPRO. She was associated with the Black Panther Party and the Black Liberation Army. And in 1979, she escaped and sought uh, political asylum in Cuba, where she remains today. But she was very demonized um, in the media. She, and probably continues, I think, to be on the FBI's most wanted list. And this is from her autobiography, which is called Asata. And she starts the opening of the book with this poem. It's called Affirmation. I believe in living. I believe in the spectrum of beta days and gamma people. I believe in sunshine, in windmills and waterfalls, tricycles and rocking chairs. And I believe that seeds grow into sprouts and sprouts grow into trees. I believe in the magic of the hands and in the wisdom of the eyes. I believe in rain and tears and in the blood of infinity. I believe in life, and I have seen the death parade march through the torso of the earth, sculpting mud bodies in its path. I have seen the destruction of the daylight and seen bloodthirsty maggots prayed to and saluted. I have seen the kind become the blind and the blind become the bind in one easy lesson. I have walked on cut glass. I have eaten crow and blunder bread and breathed the stench of indifference. I have been locked by the lawless, handcuffed by the haters, gagged by the greedy. And if I know anything at all, it's that a wall is just a wall and nothing more at all. It can be broken down. I believe in living. I believe in birth. I believe in the sweat of love and in the fire of truth. And I believe that a lost ship steered by tired seasick sailors, can still be guided home to port. I love that poem, and ever since I read her book many years ago, it's a poem that I always return to. It makes me really think about the resiliency, not only of Asata, with the conditions that she was completely demonized and the violence toward her, uh, and how she escaped all of that, but it also makes me think of the re- resilience of so many people under pretty harsh circumstances at times, and that still the world is a really beautiful place. So we're going to go now to Keegan. Keegan is a graduate. He just graduated from the Spark program, and he is also a teacher up in Springfield, Vermont, and he 
sent me a recording of a poem that he read at graduation. This is a poem by David Huddle, published in uh, his collection Glory River, which came out in 2008 through the Louisiana State University Press. It is called Thirteen. In her worst moments of sadness and outrage, my daughter Bess ran into her closet, sat among wads of clothes on the floor, and let her muffled sobs reach me through two shut doors. That year I walked home for lunch one April day to witness a couple kissing in the exact middle of my street and thought, what a charmingly romantic tableau for a spring afternoon. I wish Bess could see this until it suddenly clicked into my brain like the caption to a photograph. That is Bess. She's with goddamn sorry-ass Sean Nunick, and they're supposed to be in school this very moment. Thirteen was a hard year for all of us, and if I learned nothing else, at least I came to understand. It was better for my Bess to be out in the street in broad daylight than to be buried deep down in the dust of her dark closet. That was Keegan Harris, and Keegan is a graduate of the SPARK program and also a teacher at Springfield High in Springfield, Vermont. Thanks so much, Keegan, for sharing that poem with us. And now we're going to go to my conversation with Michaela Sims. Michaela, as many people know, is the diversity coordinator within the district, and she is also co-director of the SPARK teacher training program. Thanks for participating in this show. And you have a poem to read for us. Can you tell us the name of the poem and then uh, read it for our listeners? I can do that. I mean, I don't know if my reading will do this poem justice, but I'll do my best. It's called A Song for Soweto. I don't know. I've been studying in South Africa and reading a lot about South Africa. So it really touched me. So then I'll, I'll read it first and um, see how good or how I do, and then <laughs> you don't have to rate me, but you could actually. Let me picture you holding up a number. <laughs> I'll give you your grade after. <laughs> All right. A song for Soweto by June Jordan. At the throat of Soweto, a devil language falls, slashing claw syllables to shred and leave raw, the tongue of a young girl learning to sing her own name. Where she would say water, they would teach her to cry blood. Where she would save grass, they would teach her to crave, crawling into the grave. Where she would praise father, they would teach her to pray. Somebody please don't take him away. Where she would kiss with her mouth, my homeland, they would teach her to swallow this dust. But words live in the spirit of her face. And that sound will no longer yield to imperial erase. Where they would draw blood, she will drink water. Where they would deepen the grave, she will conjure up grass. Where they would take father and family away, she will stand under the sun, she will stay. Where they would teach her to swallow this dust, she will kiss with her mouth my homeland, and stay with the song of Soweto. Stay with the song of Soweto. Thank you, Michaela. That's a really beautiful poem. There's so much amazing imagery in that. And I know, um, I haven't heard that one, but June Jordan 
I have a poem of hers that I really love that I'm, the name is escaping me right now, but it's about sexual violence and yeah. colonization. I read that you one know? first. It's a little, it's a bit much for this program. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty intense. I've read, I read that one. I know which one you're talking about. It's really intense. And I've, I've used it a little bit in my teaching before with college level when I was doing work around sexual violence, but what the the thing that I thought of is that that poem and then this one that you read, there's such a spirit of, I think, resistance in her poetry. Yeah, is what I got from that. Is there anything um, that you want to say about the poem? I mean, the other poem you're talking about, I feel like the imagery of that of the violence is in the middle and kind of like this. It's kind of there is violence in this poem, but like really, it's about our own our power. Mm-hmm. Uh, And I really appreciate that. And that people who are in situations says, sound will no longer yield to imperial erase. Mm -hmm. Um, And like, we don't have to give in. And in spirit or in body that like, we have our our own strength that that's always there and regardless of our situation. And I think that that's important. And I think that poetry what I the thing my favorite thing about poetry is that even people who don't like to read can find a poem that can touch them, and mm-hmm. it's like a it's like a story. It's like the whole history is right here in this really short kind of tiny capsule, and and so you can learn history, you can learn anything, you can learn science, you can learn anything through a poem. Yeah, it's all right there, and you don't have to read a whole lot to get it. <laughs> Yeah, no, I agree with that. And I am someone that doesn't, on my own, just go and read poetry. I never have. Uh, And I think that, though, in my teaching, more and more, I've started to use poetry within my teaching or for discussion groups. And actually, just this morning, I used a poem in a training session I was doing with two of the new advocates at the Women's Freedom Center. And it was kind of a dark poem, but it led to so much great discussion around Uh, just gender and the things that women in particular do to their bodies in order to um, try and be accepted. It was, it was called Barbie doll by Marge Piercy. Um, Mm. Anyway. So yeah, I agree with you that it can be used in so many different ways or once you kind of even certain lines can be, can spring off into really great conversations. uh, I think in our teaching too. Yep. It sure can. I mean, I feel like it's what I really, really enjoyed when I was a when I first started teaching, um, it's, I feel like that's because it was a fond memory from being in school and also because I like to write. And I think I've been writing poems since I was like in second grade or something. I used to leave them on my mom's pillows. And it is something that I reach for because when I can't read, like when my mind is so full that I can't read and I'm just like so stressed about teaching or about school, I can always read poetry or really short or short stories. So I am a person who reads poetry, but yeah. I appreciate because I appreciate it. Wait, I wish that you had maybe prepared one of your childhood poems that you've written. They're <laughs> <laughs> probably all faded from like, I wrote them on white paper with marker 20 years, 20 years ago, more than 20 years ago. So I'm sure they're like faded into nothing. But that was funny. I was going to ask too, I just wanted to get your thoughts around all of this in that I know you're the diversity coordinator in the district and uh, work with a lot of young people. And I'm just wondering about the way in which even right now, because so much of our work is via the computer and, and our voices, is 
Are there ways that you think you could use this type of form with some of your students right now? Yeah, I mean, now that you say that, there's also so many videos online of people reading poems. And I can imagine it's a way like to listen to a poem together and talk about it. It's a way to engage people. I feel like you have to have some kind of content to have an online discussion with people, um, especially people who don't know each other well. So I can see it really being like a Mm -hmm. good off point for a discussion about almost anything. And actually tomorrow I'm having a teachers of color meetup. And that was my, my first thought is like, oh, I should open it with a poem. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It's going to be a whole, it's, I don't know. My hope is to have five people. There are five people there. I'm happy, but other people have RSVP'd, but I was thinking, you know, like open, I'm like, oh, is there a black teacher poem? <laughs> <laughs> Not, you could read the one that you read today. Right. I was gonna, that's exactly what I said. If not, I'll read this one. And Michaela, is there anything else you'd like to add today? That's it. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for reading. When the revolution comes. When the revolution comes. When the revolution comes. When the revolution comes. Some of us will probably catch it on TV with chicken hanging from our mouths. You'll know it's revolution because there won't be no commercial. When the revolution comes. When the revolution comes, preacher pimps are gonna split the scene with the communion wine stuck in their back pockets. Faggots won't be so funny then, and all the junkies will quit their nod and wake up when the revolution comes. When the revolution comes, transit cops will be crushed by the trains after losing their guns, and blood will run through the streets of Harlem, drowning anything without substance when the revolution comes. When the revolution comes. When the revolution comes, when the revolution I hope pearly white teeth fall out of the mouths that speak of revolution without reference. The course of revolution is 360 degrees. Understand the cycle that never ends. Understand the beginning to be the end, and nothing is in between but space and time that I make or you make to relate or not to relate to the world outside. My mind, your mind, speak not of revolution until you are willing to eat rats to survive. When the revolution comes. When the revolution comes, when the revolution comes, guns and rifles will be taking the place of poems and essays. Black cultural centers will be fought supplying the revolutionaries with food and arms when the revolution comes. When the revolution comes, white death will fall off the walls of museums and churches, breaking the lie that enslaved our mothers. When the revolution comes, when the revolution comes, Jesus Christ is going to be standing on the corner of Lenox Avenue and 125th Street, trying to catch the first gypsy camp out of Harlem. When the revolution comes, when the revolution comes, Jew merchants will give away matzo balls and gefilte fish to anyone they see with an afro. Frank Schiffen will give away the Apollo to the first person he sees wearing a blue dashiki when the revolution That was When the Revolution Comes by the Last Poets. And you are listening to Indigo Radio. We've been hearing some awesome poetry today. And we're going to round out the show with three more poems. We're going to start with Nicole and Derek. And they are both uh, Spark alum. They also both work with the and teach within the Spark Education program. And so I was in conversation with them about poetry. They both are going to read poems. And after we hear them, we're going to go to Dr. Janaki Natarajan. Uh, Janaki is the co-director of the Spark Teacher Education program here in Vermont. And We're going to end on her poem, and it is an original that she wrote herself that she read for graduation 
just last week. Hey, Derek. Hi, Anna. Thanks for joining us on Indigo Radio. Thank you for having me. <laughs> and for our listeners, can you uh, tell us who you are, what you teach, and then we would love for you to read a poem for us today. Sure. So my name is Derek, and I am an elementary educator uh, who's been out of the classroom for a while, but will be returning in the fall. I'll be teaching fourth and fifth grade social studies and science. Nice. So the name of the poem is called Torture, and it's by Alice Walker, and it's from her book of poems, A Horse Makes a Landscape Look More Beautiful. And it goes like this. When they torture your mother, plant a tree. When they torture your father, plant a tree. When they torture your brother and your sister, plant a tree. When they assassinate your leaders and lovers, plant a tree. When they torture you, too bad to talk, plant a tree. When they begin to torture the trees and cut down the forest, they have made start another. Thank you. And Derek, will you tell us what the significance of that poem is to you? Well, for me, the poem speaks about how you can't necessarily give up at all. Um, There's always a reason to continue, right? So Mm -hmm. the fact that as teachers, sometimes our the things that we teach, the things that we say to students, the way that we share our principles, sometimes they don't always coalesce with the people who are in charge in the administration. And so you get knocked down a lot. And sometimes Mm -hmm. you find yourself maybe even being targeted and put out of the school that you're in by based off of what you're teaching. And this poem for me just says, you know, there's no reason, even if all of this has happened, you got to do something about it. Right. So the the degree can just be continuing to teach what you're teaching or finding another place to teach what you're teaching um, or doing it in a different way. And so that's the message that I think this poem conveys for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's why I enjoy reading it. It also feels really timely at this moment, this challenging time that we're all going through. So I really appreciate you reading that today for us. You're welcome. Nick, you're there too. Yeah, I'm here. Hi, Nick. Will you introduce yourself? Hello, everybody. I'm Nick, also part of Indigo Radio. I um, am a teacher up in Springfield at the high school in Vermont. Um, I'm going to read a poem um, and then I will tell a story. So basically, uh, just to introduce the poem, Nikki Giovanni is the poet that I'll be reading. And a friend of mine, Michaela, who everyone has also heard on this show, she introduced <laughs> Nikki to me. And I just went and I read a few of her poems. And then I was like, oh, I got to go get more. So I went and bought a whole bunch of books and, and tried to share as many as I could with my students. One of her poems, the one that I'll read now, I wrote in window crayon on the outside of my classroom so that when students walked by in the hallway that they could read it. The poem is called Allowables. I killed a spider, not a murderous brown recluse, nor even a black widow. And if the truth were told, this was only a small sort of papery spider who should have run when I picked up the book, but she didn't. And she scared me and I smashed her. I don't think I'm allowed to kill something because I am frightened. 
what happened one day in my classroom this winter was that that poem had been on my on my window for about six months and I changed it. And one of my students came into the room and she had noticed that there was a spider in the corner and it was a, it was pretty big <laughs> and I'm pretty afraid of spiders. <laughs> and so I picked up a book and she said, wait, stop, follow your own directions. You can a spider. And so I said to her, yeah, actually you're right let's figure out a way to get this spider out of here because I don't want to hang with the spider, but I also don't want to kill it. So we <laughs> took a couple pieces of paper and put it out the window. It was so lovely to be taught by my student what I had been trying to teach my students. Yeah. I really love that story a lot. I love the poem. And I know you had shared the story at our Spark graduation this past weekend. And I, I really love that story. Because for me as a as a teacher too, it it makes me think about how sometimes our students are one, both teaching us lessons, but also that we are teaching them and sometimes we don't realize it. Mm-hmm. So I just have a question for both of you, if either of you can answer or both of you is thinking about the power of poetry in teaching and what you think poems can add to our teaching of, of each other and, and to our students? Well, this, this is Derek. You know, I did my whole exhibition on poetry because I, and they were about haikus, which are one of my favorite styles of poems. But I did it because I feel like it, it allows the students to voice their voice. And poems don't necessarily always have to take, like they don't have to rhyme. They don't have to um, follow any kind of convention. They don't necessarily have to. And I think it just empowers students to have their voice and um, to be able to get up Mm -hmm. and have students express themselves in their writing and then read it out loud if they feel courageous enough to do so. I think that's something that I always try to pass on to my students, which is find your voice. And then once you find it, use it. Nick, do you want to add anything? I mean, I would just also say that so many students are so artistic and they don't often have an opportunity to use that skill or even hone or practice that skill. Um, I feel like with all of the ways that schooling has been imposed on both teachers and students, that there's not so much room for creativity. And so to be able to bring poetry into any kind of lesson, which can happen, it's, it becomes a way to, to both express themselves, but also to read the world differently. And it is powerful and sometimes succinct, you know, in the way that Derek talk, is talking about haikus. Like, you know, you got a very small amount of syllables to, to, to make a picture of someone. And the challenge of that and the creativity uh-huh. of that I found, too, has been fun. It's fun for them. So I really, I think poetry, poetry is powerful. It really is. Jonathy, thank you for being part of Indigo Radio today. We have been recording different spark educators reading poems that really speak to them or that they really love or they use teaching. And I know that you shared a poem with all of us during Spark graduation last weekend, and it was a poem that you wrote yourself, and we would love for you to read that poem for us on the air. Voices shrieked incessantly, making me see daffodils and babbling brooks, green England, 
colonized mind, rendering the immediate invisible, banana and banyan and red earth invisible, our shining eyes red-rimmed, confusing vision with false consciousness, hidden from sight. So I was taught. So now, how to think, to feel, to inspire, to act, to organize, in schools and streets and prisons, meat packers, mechanics, laborers, and how? What are the voices? Hear them everywhere of those humans who have suffered and struggled, of Africans scattered unwillingly, very unwillingly scattered across the earth. Forces battered in the past, past, blood reddened the earth of dwellers, of broad lands and forests and rivers, even on decks of ships, as now. Those have told us tales that others have not heard, whose names not individually written, but whispered in our years, told by Howard and others. I render them visible to you. Refuse not to hear. Recently, young voices said to us, treat us as humans. Hear us. Listen. We think. We speak. We experience our lives, double-visioned, as WDEB said. We are aware of what surrounds us. So, too, say nurses, doctors, even barefoot doctors. Others, treat humans as humans. Look, hear, listen. Suffering after birth, death, felt, experienced. The griot sings from rift valley of human birth, rendering the invisible visible. And the voices say, I refuse to be tested, individualized, atoms shredded. I refuse to die an event without consequence. I choose that we act solidly, sometimes openly, others not. Why not? It depends on where and when and how. Signs are writ large. Can you not read? Open your eyes, the young say. Step up. Fear. What is that? Axis has shifted turning to its center. Is change a miracle which turns on a dime? Or is it wrought wisely, steady of purpose, unending energy, steel in our backs and in our forearms, eyes shining? 
some say life is a kaleidoscope. It is not so. Afflict wrist patterns seem to change. Some say patterns cannot change. It is not so. Break the kaleidoscope. It is that rolled board with bits of glass. Make a prism. See the light shine through. Myriad shafts radiate and recreate. What is the world we will build? Thank you, Anna. Thank you, Donaghy, so much for sharing that. It's an honor for us to have you read that um, on the radio and also at graduation last weekend. Uh, listening to it again, I was thinking about how much, uh, for me, one of the things I get from that poem is the way that I, I think the in, importance of listening to ancestors, but also the, like the echoing reverberations throughout history and connecting the ancestors to those in struggle today is something that I think listening to it a second time, I really was something that spoke to me. I would love to hear some of the thoughts that you had in writing that poem. Well, I was um, very moved by the young people who came to our seminar the previous day, I think it was, and they were, <laughs> all of them, we're making the point, we are human. We are human. Mm. Listen to us and look at us as humans. And I think that was very profound because when we look at the, the poor, when we look at poverty, when we look at the quote-unquote essential workers, when we look at students, um, when we look at people who do not have homes, so-called just homeless people, as we say, mm. the our eyes are clouded by what we've been taught. And these young people saying, don't do that, was, you know, was really profound. And I've always found that young people have clearer eyes than their elders in many ways, if you allow them. And uh, in my teaching times, you know, they, they write great poetry because it just is, meaningful words spilling out of them. But that, this is what I thought. And also, you know, we can change things. There's no, there's nothing which says we cannot change things yeah. uh, for the better, you know, without exploitation and where poor are, have the right to, to food, clothing, and shelter, you know. So anyway, yeah. that's what And I think that's what Spark is about. So I'm so glad you're doing this for the radio. Yeah. And I, I just have one other question. One of the questions I've been asking some of the other ed, Spark educators that have been reading poems is about the use of poetry, and we could also just add the written word in our teaching. And I know that uh, you also have actually introduced me to a number of poems that I have used in my own teaching. I mean, I even use them in a public health class. And... What's your thought around the use of written pieces and poetry in teaching young people? A few couple of days ago, I was speaking with, uh, with um, a 10th grade U.S. history class. And one rather shy person and another, you know, a couple of them said, I can't think very clearly. My mind rambles. <laughs> and I was 
I was saying that's the greatest thing, a rambling mind. That means that you're looking for things beyond what we have been taught in a dogmatic way. And I think poetry allows that and the written word allows that. Please ramble. And once you ramble, <laughs> <laughs> look back at it and say, oh, where did that lead me? You know? <laughs> and then recollect what I wish to think. So it's recollection and rambling and coming to new thoughts. And I think that all literature should allow us to do that. Mm. And yeah, all written and non-written words. Because mm. most of our ancestors of long ago, all our ancestors long ago, did not necessarily have any written word. And that's all right. That doesn't matter if you mm. remember told words. Thank you, Janaki. Thank you so much for both reading your poem and um, offering a lot of your thoughts here. Thank you so much, Anna. Great work. Thank you. That was Janaki reading her original poetry, which was so wonderful to hear. And I want to thank all of the Spark faculty and Spark students for joining in on the show today. It was so great to listen to all those awesome poems and to think about the ways that we can use those in our teaching and in discussions with each other. So thank you to everyone. And we are going to go out with Dancing in the Street by Martha Reeves and the Vandellas.